Good morning. We'd like to welcome you here this morning, those who remembered that it's 8.20 and not 8.30 this morning. Congratulations. Please stand and join us as we worship our God together. In Psalm 40, it says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him.
come today to worship you and to declare your greatness in all the earth, to all people in every place. Thank you for being with us today. And we ask that our worship would bring honor and glory to you because our hearts are open to you. And we ask for your grace to be upon us as we worship today. And we ask this through Jesus. Amen. Let me ask you to take a few moments, share a word of greeting with others here. If you want to move up a little closer, we would invite you to do that as well. Just a couple of things I want to mention to you. Uh, you'll notice this afternoon at 5, we're gathering for our annual uh, potluck picnic. And uh, hopefully the weather will be all right. We'll be outside uh, back over here. And if you can bring some food, we have a lot of college students who uh, will be here, those who are here early uh, for athletics or student life or other things. So we're inviting all of them to come and join us tonight. And so there will be a big crowd. We hope that to see you as well and uh, appreciate the food that you can bring and just have a chance to interact and uh, have a chance to fellowship together before we uh, jump into the, the busy school year again. We're also pleased to have John Case uh, preaching this morning. We appreciate John's ministry at various times for us here and his work on the campus as well and in our community. And so we, uh, we pray that God's grace would be upon John as he shares with us this morning. We're going to ask the ushers to come and assist us in the giving of our tithes and offerings. And the pain falls like a curtain All the things I once called a certain And I have to say the words I fear the most Just don't know And the questions without
spend a few moments uh, praying together. If you'd like to come and use the altar rail as the place where you offer your prayers, please come and join me. Gracious Heavenly Father, we declare what we just sung, that you are God alone, that you are in control of all things, that you rule over all things, that all things are in your hands, and we surrender and submit ourselves to you. In the struggles and the pains and the difficulties of life, we trust you. And even though we do not always understand, though we cannot always see, we know that you are good and merciful, and we trust you. We thank you, Father, that you hear our prayers as you invite us to bring them to you. This morning, we pray for uh, our own needs that we bring with us this morning. We pray for those who are grieving. We think especially of Mim Case and her family, the death of her mother this week. We ask that you would bring comfort and peace to Mim and her family and to all who are grieving this day. We pray for all who are struggling with health concerns, the various places and and, and issues and stages of the difficulties. We pray for your healing grace upon each of them. We pray especially today for Louise Princell, Laura Habecker, Adrian Butine, Hudson Hess, and Nancy Cole, for Patty Plaza, Brian Orbacher, Peter Lingenfelter, Ellis Brotsman, for Brian Maston and Chuck Barrett, and Cheryl O'Brien, Stuart Emmett, for Ben King, Doris Asepian, for Isla Shea, Sheldon Emerson, for Bill Getty, Warren and Ella Woolsey, Mike Raybuck, for Bev Rett and Micah Christensen, for Linda Roth and Dick Gould and Emily Cricklar, and others who may be on our minds today, and we ask for your healing grace on each of them. Father, we pray for uh, the burdens and the concerns of life as it comes to us, as we are on the brink of a, of a new academic year. For many of us, this is the beginning of, of new exciting things and new pressures and stresses. And we ask that your grace would be with us as we trust you in all of the things that we are doing and preparing for and engaging in. And Father, we pray for our nation. We have been through a a very difficult, struggling week. And we ask, Father, that you will help us to see, help us as the church to be a voice for peace for reconciliation, a voice that that speaks for those who are vulnerable, those who are marginalized, those who are oppressed and attacked. We ask, Father, that you will give us grace to be your people who speak your word and your voice, that we would share what you want your kingdom to be, even in this world. So we pray, Father, for your grace upon our nation and that we would repent of our sins 
and turn to you as individuals, as a church, as people. We pray, Father, that that you will uh, bring about uh, your work in this world. We think of the the, the threats of with North Korea and, and the Korean people and other places around. And we pray, Father, that you will bring peace where there is threat of violence and war there and in other places. We pray for the people who are grieving and recovering from the recent terrorist attacks this week. And Lord, we pray that instead of fear, there will be a renewed trust of you and sense of your grace at work. We pray, Father, for refugees all around the world who struggle to find a place of home. And we ask for your grace upon them in every way. We thank you for the work of your kingdom around the world. We pray for Wes and Dana Brown as they work in Kenya and have a chance to come home. And we ask that you will help them as they travel and raise support and make connections. May they have safety and strength and be refreshed even as they travel. And Father, we pray for your church, your, our brothers and sisters in Pakistan, the new prime minister being selected by parliament. There's always a concern of, of how uh, they will be treated. And we ask, Father, that you will give the Christians in Pakistan uh, a sense of your grace upon them and your security. We pray, Father, that you will give them strength for whatever lies ahead. And may they know our love and our support, our prayers. And most of all, may they know your spirit with them in every way. Father, we thank you for the ministry of this church as we are uh, preparing to to begin uh, Sunday school and ministries for children and youth and adults and college students and all the things that we do. We pray that you'll help us to have a sense of using our gifts and to let you work in us to speak into others' lives and to know the joy of serving one another. And we pray for the churches around us. Today we pray for the McCraybrook Wesleyan Church in Eldred and Pastor Dale Argo. We pray, Father, that your grace would be upon this gathering of believers, that they would bear witness to your love and mercy in all that they do. Thank you, Father, for your presence with us here today. We pray your anointing upon your servant who comes to speak to us in a few moments. May our hearts be open to you as we continue in worship. And we ask all of this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the one who leaves us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This morning's scripture is from 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 25. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, The intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs, and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, 
a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. This is the word of the Lord. Please stand and join us as we sing, and children may be dismissed for Children's Church.
I'm very happy to be able to speak to you all this morning, and let me begin by thanking Pastor West for the kind invitation. It's always a pleasure to be able to speak to Houghton Wesleyan Church. Um, I suspect we have some new folks on campus this weekend who might be here. If you don't know, I teach in the religion department, uh, where I teach several courses that help students think about uh, the rapid changes in our world and how to engage them theologically. Things change so rapidly, it seems like I'm teaching new content every time these courses come up. Um, sometimes it seems like it's just impossible to keep up with all the changes in our world. And so many of the changes, of course, have to do with the digital world and its incursion into just about every aspect of our life. So much of our lives anymore uh, are dictated by our phones, our tablets, uh, our laptops. They're kind of the secular counterpart to divine omniscience, uh, instant knowledge, instant communication, uh, instant entertainment. Uh, anymore, it seems like there are no boundaries. Uh, you know, one morning I was in the uh, men's room up at the uh, college and in the stall next to me, I'm hearing a bunch of voices and engines revving. There's a young man engaged in his morning evacuation ritual watching a movie while he's sitting on the toilet. Now, maybe this is a generational thing, but no, I'm sorry. You know, you need to get a hobby, right? Vin Diesel, get out of that stall. I don't want to hear you there in the morning. And I don't ever want to borrow your phone either. I've seen your personal hygiene habits. And now, of course, we have these devices that listen to us. Have you heard about these smart TVs that can record your conversation in the living room? They can record your whole conversation and, and send it to a server somewhere. So now, you know, you need to be careful if you're spending all afternoon swearing at your football team, right? Because you don't know who's listening. You know, I'm <laughs> right. um, how I'm going to watch the bills anymore, I don't know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> And, of course, these digital assistants are all the rage right now. Have you seen these things? Uh, Siri or Alexa, or you might have Google Home. Um, they're supposed to make our lives easier. Um, but they also make them kind of weird. Uh, I was in a coffee shop in Buffalo uh, a while back, and I'm sitting next to some young teens who are doing their math homework together. And this is the way they're doing it. They have the phone set out, and they're going down the list of problems. Siri, what is? Siri, what is? So, so I asked the young person, I said, is this common? And she looked at me like my mother dropped me on my head when I was little. Of course it's common. Everyone does it. And, and while the political and commercial 
uh, ramifications here are kind of scary. You know, who's actually listening to us and why? Uh, One of the main things that concerns me is the way that our devices are changing us, even as we're employing them. And the habit of thinking they tend to instill in us is that our deepest needs can be met by instant downloads of information. That the most vexing problems we face can be solved by, you know, some simplistic tweet. Or alternatively, some gargantuan or artificially intelligent agent. And when we're constantly attached to these devices, it's easy to be seduced into that way of thinking. But folks, when you look around at the world today, what we're facing collectively, what we need most is what Siri doesn't know and what Alexa can't tell us. Because I think what we need more than anything else for the living of these days is wisdom. We need to be able to figure out how to disagree graciously. We need to be able to figure out how to bring healing to a world that is wounded. We need to be able to figure out how to speak for the truth without ourselves inciting more hatred Because when we do that, we just mirror the very thing that we claim to despise. By any estimation, our world is in a heap of trouble right now. And we don't seem to be getting any closer to figuring it out. You ever wake up thinking, you know, surely things can't get any worse today than they were yesterday. And then you read the news and you say, oh, it just got worse. Again! (laughs) And it could be argued that these devices with instant communication have actually made the cultural climate much worse. So there's a terrible irony here. We're awash in a sea of knowledge. I mean, not just facts, not things like favorite tourist destinations in Iceland or how to combat the blight on your tomatoes. We have what the very brightest minds have thought through the ages at our fingertips, and yet what we need the most seems to be eluding us. Now, if all of that isn't disturbing enough, if I could make your day a little brighter, what makes this whole situation even more dangerous for the church is the tendency that we have to imitate the very worst in our political leaders and other high-profile figures. In that light, it's easy to understand why in this age in which people want spiritual answers, spiritual uh, business is huge. In this age in which we have a genuine spiritual hunger, the fastest-growing religious group in this country are the nuns, the N-O-N-E-S, people who have no institutional religious affiliation whatsoever. These are folks who have had it with organized religion. And religious leaders who always seem to find a way to make things worse. In a world of so many jagged edges in which power 
is the only currency. The message of the cross can only look ridiculous. To the church at Corinth, a church that is so deeply and internally divided over power struggles, a church that is so unsure of how it should relate to outsiders, Paul writes, Jews demand signs, Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews, foolishness to the Gentiles. Jews and Gentiles, in other words, the whole world. For Paul, either you're a Jew or a Gentile. It's not Jew and Gentile and independent voters, you know, Jew and Gentile and Rand Paul, you know, it's like, The whole world doesn't get it, he's saying. No one gets it. Because Jews would have said, look, messiahs don't die. That's not in the job description for a messiah. And to Greeks, to those who prize spiritual wisdom, the notion of the eternal God getting his hands dirty, of somehow touching the life of this crucified man was was ridiculous. You know that some pop philosophers in the ancient world uh, had such committed followers that their followers actually paid them money to dispense their wisdom. You know, in a college town, I thought that was a pretty good joke, right? But I, you'll think about it later, and it'll be so funny. Um, even in the church, um, people who were thought to be wise had their own groupies. I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas. If these folks were alive today, they would be Christian celebrities. People would be following their blogs and their tweets. Spiritual wisdom in 140 characters. You know, hashtag wisdom. You know, hashtag I don't think so. Different philosophies of the time, Platonism and cynicism and stoicism. These are, these are all influencing people. But what these different philosophies had in common was the notion that the material world, and in particular the body, uh, wasn't as important as higher spiritual truths. Real wisdom isn't here. Real wisdom isn't here. Real wisdom is up here on this elevated plane. So it's very easy then for me to keep my spirituality compartmentalized and then live like however I want. And throughout this letter, Paul has to confront this denigration of the material world and the body. We can't do whatever we want sexually, he says, because our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Our bodies. We can't take the Lord's Supper lightly because in it, he says, we actually participate in the body and blood of Jesus. We can't live out our Christian freedom without careful deliberation because even in matters of eating and drinking, we're affecting the people around us. And he, and he caps off this letter with this brilliant exposition of the resurrection in chapter 15 where he says, look, the resurrection is not some ethereal spiritual reality. Jesus was raised bodily, and our resurrected bodies will be like his. And all of these things, for the Apostle Paul, flow from taking seriously the fact 
that the life of the eternal God and the life of this man, Jesus, intersect. That this man, Jesus, wrongly condemned and executed, is the wisdom of God, the one who interprets God to us and us to God, as N.T. writes it. It's a marvelous phrase. But the greatest philosophical minds begin to lose traction when they hear that this Christ was, that this Christ died, that this Christ was buried and was raised bodily. Received wisdom simply scratches his head when it hears that. God doesn't act like that. Another way to put it is simply this. Paul is telling us everything you think you knew about God is wrong. The great repository of human knowledge about what God is like and how God acts. You know, God is this... God is this big entity out there who either leaves us alone to figure it out or occasionally just wallops us to keep us in line. You know, Zeus hurling his thunderbolt and all that. The cross of Jesus simply levels all of that. So in verse 19 of our passage, Paul quotes a judgment oracle from Isaiah that was delivered against Israel. And he delivers it against the wisdom of his time. He says in chapter 10, those things that happened to Israel happened for our benefit. So he asked, where's the philosopher of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of this world? No one gets it. Because we speak of God's secret wisdom. He says in chapter 2 hidden before time and destined for our glory and now revealed to us at the end of the age. And apart from that, we simply don't have access to it. But here's a question, and I'm sure that it's probably occurred to some of you as I've been speaking. The fact is we can ask our digital assistants for wisdom. We can do a Google search we can find entire libraries devoted to it. But the thing is, our search engines uh, will always give us results without making any claims to the truth of what they turn up for us. Alexa can't tell us that. So your search for wisdom will turn up everything from the book of Proverbs, you know, to Confucius, to Oprah, <laughs> to Winnie the Pooh's little book of wisdom. Actually, it's a very fine book. (laughs) And they'll all be presented to us indiscriminately. In this situation of pluralism, it's very easy for someone to stand up and, and agree with Paul and say, oh yeah, the world has missed it, but somehow I have access to that secret divine wisdom. God spoke to me directly, and he said usually something crazy. Um, I teach several courses on cults, and this is how a lot of them get going. You know, God talked to me. I saw God in my raisin bran this morning, and he told me all of you are supposed to write checks to John Case Ministries. Maybe something a little less crazy. 
somehow my, my tiny denomination, the constipated church of the petrified brethren, we've got divine wisdom that the rest of all Christendom somehow missed out on. Um, no wonder a lot of these nuns that I mentioned earlier, they look at all religious believers and say, you guys are all riding the crazy train together. How can you possibly have this? How can you possibly prove this claim to divine wisdom? Maybe Alexa can't make truth claims because there's just no point. You have your spiritual quest, I have mine. How do you know that this is the real wisdom of God? How do you know that Paul's gospel is any more legitimate than anyone else's? I wish there was a real easy answer to that. Uh, I wish there was a knockdown apologetics that could prove to people the truth of the gospel. Just bulldoze all these other claims. Uh, and, and before you send me links to Ravi Zacharias, you know, just remember, I, I taught apologetics for 20 years. Okay, I get it. Um, folks, I've come to believe that the only way the vast majority of people come to be convinced of this truth is if the church that professes Christ crucified actually lives it out and embodies it. Because remember, the wisdom of God is not a set of propositions. It's not a new book. God's wisdom is embodied in the person of Jesus. Even the New Testament that we talk about in its most precise sense is not a book. The New Testament, the New Covenant, is the broken and resurrected body of Jesus. He is our peace. He is the new and living way. Let me make just a couple of quick connections here. If that's the case, that means that, that we're not simply a people who follow a new book, a new set of instructions. We're not Christ's book club or Christ's debate team. Paul says in chapter 12, what? We are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And if you want to know what embodying this Christ looks like, if you want to know what embodying the way of the cross looks like, you look at chapter 13, the love chapter. If I can fathom all mysteries, if I can figure out all knowledge, he says, but I don't have love. I don't have anything. I can have a super spiritual Siri who can give me all the spiritual secrets. If I don't have love, I'm nothing. Because everything we pride ourselves on, all of our wisdom will fail, but love never fails. Folks, information Knowledge, that's never been the church's problem. My theology books are stacked so high in my office, the fire and safety people have told me I can't go any higher. It's a hazard. Information's not the problem. The problem has always been transformation. The problem has always been allowing the Spirit to do His work in our lives. 
the greatest challenge thrown at us today isn't give us a book on apologetics that will answer all of our questions. We can ask Alexa for title after title. The biggest challenge is, hey, Christians, show us you're not interested in making things worse. Show us that this love of God you you keep talking about is real. But here's the thing, and it's confession time. I know John Case, and some of you do too. And I can tell you that living out this great message I've been talking about doesn't come naturally to me. Um, My initials might be JC, but anyone who knows me for 10 minutes would never confuse me with Jesus Christ. I love to go fishing, and Jesus loved to go fishing, but after that, the natural similarity just ends, right? If you cross me, I can cut you off at the kneecaps and do so with a song in my heart. That's not helpful in a world of jagged edges, all of which is a short way of confessing that I need the Holy Spirit, to change me. How about you? Paul says in chapter 2, we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God so that we can understand what God has freely given us. And understand here means not not through rationality, not through logic, but through a deep spiritual apprehension. Apart from that spirit, we're just not going to pull it off. We have not received the spirit of the world. And learning to walk in the wisdom of the crucified in this world of guns and trumpets, it's going to take a lot of work by the Holy Spirit. A lot of renovation work. He's going to have to tear down walls and haul out junk out of the attic and pull up old foundations. Some of us are real fixer-uppers. You know what I mean? And I realize there's a whole lot of confusion about the work of the Spirit. I wish I had another uh, sermon where I could go into this more. You know, sometimes when people tell me what the Holy Spirit is leading them to do, I think to myself, man, Holy Spirit needs to start drinking decaf. You know, why is the Spirit telling you to do something that's going to land you on America's most wanted, you know, or... Ripley's Believe It or Not. Um, Wesley himself said things like, don't believe every little voice you hear inside your head and assume it's from God. It might be from God. It might be your own voice. It might be the voice of the devil. Just briefly, here's a good test to know if it's really the Spirit leading us. Does what we're hearing, does what we're sensing take us back to 1 Corinthians in such a way that against the grain of how we normally act, we suddenly find ourselves living out these realities, living out the wisdom of the crucified Christ? As we follow the Spirit's leading and as we embody that wisdom of Christ who is the very embodiment of God's eternal wisdom. You know what, folks? 
as that happens, we're, coming, we're going to come to realize that this body becomes the very temple of the Holy Spirit. That's good theology right there. Yeah? Hashtag wisdom. Huh? We need wisdom for the living out of these days. But that means we need a message that transcends the sum total of human wisdom, and we need a transformed way of living together in this world. It's what Alexa can't tell us that we need the most, but it's what Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, can do. May God bless you richly this morning, church, as you invite him to do that work in your lives today. God bless you. Please stand and join us as we sing together.
Receive the benediction, and now may the God of all true spiritual wisdom endow you richly with the wisdom of the crucified, and may the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be yours now and forever. Amen.